Good morning again. So if you have your sermon notes and you like to take sermon notes, it'd be a good time to pull those out. Let's turn into our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 8. We are taking a journey through this wonderful book of Mark, and uh, we are following the steps of Jesus as we go through the book of Mark. I confess that there are a lot of times when I am like a blind man in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't see him, but I know he's there. You ever felt like that? that I can't see what God is doing. God, are you there? Uh, What's happening? And we feel like we're just kind of of feeling our way through life. And, but understand that, that God is always there. So today's story is, is about Jesus healing a blind man. And it reveals that the disciples have a problem seeing clearly who Jesus is. The disciples have a problem of seeing who Jesus is. So if they're going to have a problem, I think we're going to have a problem. Now, Jesus helps them with this, and he gives them a visual to help them understand who he is and what they need to see. But before we get into the story and read this, uh, the story, I want to set up a couple things that will help us have greater revelation of the story. First of all, when we look at the Bible, my friend, when we look at the Bible, understand that the Bible is, is one story. It is a revelation about God. And he does that primarily through Jesus Christ, the third part of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. So it is one revelation of Jesus Christ, of God. And so it's one story. Now, that is important for us to understand because when we look at the stories in the Bible and we look at the book of Mark, it's not a book to itself. It is a, and, and the Bible isn't a collection of books. Sometimes you pick up a book and, uh, and it'll be short stories, and they're different stories. They don't, cl- they don't connect. This book connects with everything else in the book. And so there's not a standalone story or a standalone a- a verse. or It connects with everything that's going on with it. That's so important when you're reading the Bible. And so, uh, so too with this story. Um, and the miracles... When we talk about the miracles that are in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, they all have a primary or a, 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 a doing something, but then also there is a greater meaning, a greater revelation for this. For example, I want to remember when Moses was in the Old Testament and he was leading the children of Israel around and they were, they were without water and, and Jesus said, well, come to the rock, strike the rock and water come out. Moses did that. He struck a rock, water came out. And then they had some more time, and they, they were athirst again. And Jesus says, well, go to the rock and now speak to the rock. Well, Moses, I don't know why he did this, but he, he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And you remember, God came down and, and disciplined him because he didn't completely follow God's word. Now, water came out, but he disciplined him. He said, you didn't do exactly what I wanted you to do. 
And we believe that it is because that when we come to Jesus, Jesus was stricken and, and is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now we, we come in this relationship and, and we speak to him, we talk to him, and he gives us the water, he gives us a refreshment every time uh, in our relationship with him. And so the miracle has a greater revelation that, and a purpose for that of, of telling us the truth. We think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, praise God, Jesus was risen from the grave. This is the greatest miracle of all, of all time of history of Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected. Now, understand this. There is more to that because it's not just a person coming to life, and, and that's great and wonderful, but for you and I, it is a great visual what, when we are, are spiritually dead or when we die physically that because of Christ res being resurrected, we are going to be resurrected as well. So there's a greater truth with this, um, the resurrection, the miracle resurrection. So when we come to this passage of scripture, uh, Jesus is going to heal a man. He is blind, and now he's going to come and restore his eyesight. And so Jesus is going to teach the truth. So here's the truth as, as, as we get into this story to understand it, that there was some blindness going on, some spiritual blindness with the disciples. They didn't know who Jesus was. We read the passage in the beginning of chapter 8. Pastor Kevin talked about that. Is, is that um, the feeding of the 4,000. And, and they said, you know, how can we feed the 4,000? And Jesus said, we've got to feed them. And he said, how can we feed the 4,000? We're just but one. And, and they missed something. They missed what Jesus, who Jesus is. And later on, he talks about the Pharisees and their blindness in the same chapter and how they didn't understand. In fact, it ends up in verse 21. It says, do you not understand? Do you not understand? So Jesus is revealing spiritual blindness, both of the disciples and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the reason they were spiritually blind, because they had no spiritual life. They had a religion of works coming to God upon their own merits and performance. And uh, the Bible clearly says in Ephesians, says we are saved by grace and not of works. It's not what we can do, it's what God can do. They didn't understand that. So Jesus is going to use a story about to, ready to read as a visual to help the spiritual blind to see who Jesus is. And this is important, my friend. Listen. How you see Jesus impacts every area of your life, your belief, your character, and your eternal destiny. It's important to know who Jesus is. So let's start reading in verse 22, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. So let's go back to verse 22. He came to Bethsaida. So Bethsaida, you remember, is his main uh, time of Jesus' ministry, those three years of public ministry, 
was around the Sea of Galilee. And Bethsaida, remember he came down to Decapolis and he was down there and then he goes, and now he goes back up to the top of, of the Sea of Galilee and is at a town called Bethsaida. I'll talk more about this in just a moment. And, and so this Bethsaida, and, and if you were to go there today, if you were to get on an airplane and go there today, there is some archaeological uh, archaeological ruins that are there that um, uh, you could go to what they believe is Bethsaida. And anyway, and that place is also called the Golan Heights. It's in Syria. So, so they, they, uh, they're in this area, and they bring this blind man to him, and they beg him to touch him. I think that's good. Uh, you know, several of the miracles is when people will bring him, uh, the friends of the person that need to be healed, bring him to Jesus. I think that's wonderful. And I think that's the way we ought to be as a church. We see people out there and we bring them to Jesus. We want Jesus to be in front of them because we know what Jesus has done to us and we know what Jesus can do for them as well. And so we're always trying to, to bring people to Jesus. So there he was, and, and, and Jesus listens to them, and he does something with this. And so in verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, he put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. So he takes the blind man, he, he actually grabs his hand and leads him. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to be that blind man and to, to uh, see Jesus touching his hand? hand and, and, and to, I'm sure the blind man didn't fully understand what was going on, but just to think about being in that position and Jesus reaching out and touching our hands, grabbing our hands and leading us somewhere. And so he takes him and he leads him out of the town. Now I want to stop. Let's talk a little bit more about Bethsaida again. So when Jesus in his, earlier in his ministry, he he had uh, the first miracle of, of feeding multitudes, and it was 5,000 was, was the amount. And you remember the little lad had that lunch, and Jesus used that little lad's lunch to feed the 5,000, and 12 baskets were left over from all the feeding of the 5,000 plus the men and women. So there was a great multitude that he fed. This place where Jesus did this miracle was outside of Bethsaida, somewhere in this area. It is that Jesus was the one who did this miracle. And Bethsaida itself, the interesting, the Bethsaida means house of fish. It's on the north, again, on the shore of Galilee. It's also where Philip and Andrew and Peter, they were from Bethsaida. So this is the Cyprus hometown. Now, later on, Jesus doesn't say some good things about Bethsaida because he said, you know, the, that place that was the Gentile of Tyre and Sidon, he said, if I had done the works that I did there in Bethsaida, uh, uh, if I had done the works that I did in Bethsaida in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented, but you didn't. And he actually did like a curse. It was a very negative uh, point uh, towards this city. So this place in Syria, now I can't say this for sure, but it'd be interesting is to understand that what if Jesus, and Jesus is revealing himself, and what if Jesus is taking them and he leads that man out to the very place where he fed the 5,000 earlier 
and they missed that. And you remember how they didn't get it. They didn't get it when, they, when he, uh, who Jesus was, when he feed in the 4,000, when, when he was, when they were in the, in the boat and they only had the, that one bread and they were arguing about that. We forgot fish and, uh, or something to eat, all this, and they forget all this. And so Jesus comes back around and it's possibly that Jesus comes back to the very place that he performed the feeding of the 5,000 there outside of Bethsaida. Interesting note, if that had happened. And Jesus takes the man and he spits on the ground and he takes that mud and puts him on his eyes. Now already, those who are dermophobias, you've got chills running down your back. You're thinking, oh my goodness. Somebody's spitting and putting that on my eyes. Well, a couple things with that. First of all, in the culture, that days, there was a belief that uh, Slava, the, that was something that would uh, have some kind of healing potion. I don't know. So, so it wasn't as weird maybe to that culture as it would be weird for us. I mean, if I spit on the ground and put that on Michael's eyes, you know, I, you wouldn't like that, would you, Michael? Yeah. And, you always, and we'd all think that was so totally weird. And so there was, a, there was a, a prop, possibly a, um, an acceptance of something like that. And there was even, you know, speculation that maybe that was the thing that caused the eyelids to be loose, you know, and to be opened up. And then, and then maybe Jesus touched the eyeballs. I don't know. Later on, and he healed them. So I don't know. But he did it. Why, why Jesus did it? Well, can, can I just defer that to when we get to heaven and we'll ask him? Let's, let's, he did it, and he did it for a reason. What is the reason? Well, I'm not sure. But possibly uh, that there was a process that he was trying to draw out in this healing. Notice again verse 23 again. He says, and, and he, has, he, put the, he, uh, he had spit on, on his eyes and put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. So he asks us the question. He's drawing something out. Jesus never, when we read the question by Jesus, he never isn't that he, unless it would be earlier in his life, but at the end of his life, in the time of his ministry, he never asked the time that, that he was wanting to know some knowledge that he didn't know about. He's drawing something out. And so he asked this question. I said, uh, you know, uh, can, can you see? Can you see? And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees and walking. Now in different versions, it might say, you know, that, that talking about, you know, being uh, fuzzy and, and they're like trees and, and the, uh, that men were looking like trees and they're walking around. But there, was, there wasn't a clear vision of, of, the, of what he saw. It's very evident that what he said. And Jesus draws us out to him. This healing and he says, he looked up and I see men walking as, as trees. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. So Jesus' healing, it seems it was in two phases. And it looked like he failed the first time. There, there is, a, there is a, th a, th uh, an, uh, a point here called the criterion of embarrassment. 
is a type of critical analysis in which an account likely to be embarrassing to its author is presumed to be true, as the author would have no reason to invent an account which might embarrass him or her. So why would Jesus put that in there? Unless Jesus is true and, and does what he can, we would, and if we were writing the Bible, we'd say, oh, you know, let's skip that part and just say he healed them by touching his hand, and he went on. But Jesus put this in here. And to see as first glance, we would say, oh, Jesus, he wasn't effective the first time, but now he's going to be effective the second time. It wasn't Jesus was doing. It wasn't that he was, was mistaken or had to work harder at it. He was showing something here. This is the only gradual, progressive healing described in the ministry of Jesus. It's another example of his variety of healing. Sometimes he spoke to people and healed. Sometimes he touched people. Sometimes he, he was at a distance and he said, you know, you go back there and they're healed. And, so, and sometimes uh, uh, he would have them do something and because of their action, they would be healed. Jesus probably chose this method as a time, as an illustration to his disciples and to us, showing them that their spiritual blindness, shown in the previous passage, will be healed through a progress, a process, and they will see. As you think about the journeys of the disciples, and let's just focus on the disciples for just a moment. And Jesus is, is constantly talking to them, and, and interesting because we get on in, in the latter part of this, this chapter next week, and and. and and, and Peter takes Jesus aside to, te to teach him something, to, to say something to him. Jesus takes this blind man aside and speaks to him and heals him. And Jesus is going to very clear saying, who do you say I am? Very clear. The point that he's going to be making at the end of this chapter. But as you think about the disciples, it's then the prog progress of, of knowing who Jesus is. And, and they, their faith was tested. They were fearful. They, 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 they missed things. They, they would think that, that Jesus came to set up his earthly kingdom at this time. But Jesus didn't. He came up to, to start his spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so they missed some things here, the motive and the mission of Jesus. But after the resurrection of Jesus, they got it. They proclaimed who he was. Peter stood up with confidence, the one who, who, who denied Jesus three times before his crucifixion. Jesus stands up, I mean, Peter stands up and says, you, the one you crucified, Jesus is the name of Jesus, the only one that you can be saved through his name and only his name, the name of Jesus. And so they got it. They knew who he was after the resurrection. They got it. And so the disciples are through, still going through this process. And I think that's very relevant for us because we're all going through those steps like the disciples in our growth of knowing who Jesus is. They didn't get it. They didn't fully understand who he was and what he could do. Whether the belief, the trust, the skepticism, whatever was there, it was in, the, in, in our hearts and could be in our hearts just like it was the disciples. And Jesus uses this, this visual, this blind man, 
to teach this to disciples. So I have four things I want to give you and finish up with a great finale. <laughs> For four things I want to give you a takeaway. First of all, when we're talking about our growth and doing and seeing who Jesus is, it's important to be like the blind man because he was first willing to be led by Jesus Christ. Listen, my friend, you, you will never experience and know who Jesus is until you come to a place where you'd be willing to be led by Jesus. It's as simple as that. When you're willing to allow Jesus to take your hand and lead you in your life, that is the process, that is the journey that you're going to have the revelation of Jesus Christ in its fullest in your life. So as you are willing to be led by Jesus. Perhaps there's something right now in your life that, that you, you're, you're hanging on and you're not willing to, let, to, 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 to open up and let Jesus take that and, and grab his hand and say, God, I'm willing to follow you. The second thing is willingness. The blind man was willing to leave something to, or give up something. He was willing to, to leave the crowd, leave Bethsaida, the place that he um, was there, this town, and leave and go to where Jesus wanted to take him. And maybe God says, says here, I, I want to lead you. And maybe you're still hanging on with the other hand, something else. And you're not willing to let go of that. And so God can't lead you because you haven't been willing to let go or give up something for him. For him, it was the crowd, the familiarity. It could be a number of things in our life that we're not willing to let go to let God lead us. Number three, a willingness to be humbled. Definitely was a, was a humbling thing for somebody to spit in your eyes. <laughs> Definitely. But God has this. This is the, the journey that we're to take is a humble journey. And, it, and after we receive Christ, you know, we, we go to baptism when we're baptized. And that's a humbling experience. And, and as we, we take our journey, we're constantly to be in that humble spirit of, and, and that willingness to be humble, be willing to be meek. Like the blind man, and God takes us and leads us. And then number four, a willingness to embrace the process. God is always at work. He's teaching us and processing. Michael and I were talking before the services about this process of growing in our, in our life. And, and there is this process that God is doing. He's doing a work in your life. And we embrace that process. And you say, well, well you know, something has happened to me and, 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 and there's something going on in my life and, and it's something I don't understand and something I'm in difficulty. Embrace the process that God is doing in your life. It's by no accident. There's purpose in all of these things that God allows in our life and happens in our life. He's doing a great work. He's a sovereign God. And listen, just like perhaps the disciples, if we don't learn a lesson the first time of the feeding of the 5,000, he brings us back to that point again and, and goes by it again. And he's going to get it this time? And we keep going back to the same thing until we get that process uh, uh, to move forward. And we keep going back to that moment. He's trying to teach us and repeats that over and over again until we learn we have to be like the blind man. But here's the greatest takeaway. The greatest takeaway is 
that we may not be able to see Jesus, that he always sees us. And this is the most important thing to get. Jesus is there to see us. He knows right where we're at. He knows what we need. And he's willing to step in to lead us and take us where we need to be. There's a great song that, it's an old song, it's called uh, His Eye on the Sparrow. And the, and the lyrics go like this. It's this, it says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? A constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow. It's taken from the passage of Matthew when, when Jesus is saying, he says, you know, uh, if God is, is um, so concerned about the sparrow, he's concerned about you. The backstory of this song was Sylvia Martin was born in Nova Scotia in 1866. Her husband was an evangelist and traveled all around the United States. And she accompanied him, uh, and they worked together on most of the music arrangements that were sung. In 1904, this lady visited an ill, bedridden friend. And although discouraged and sick, her friend remembered that God, her heavenly father, was watching over each little sparrow and would certainly watch after her. And she testified of Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to, to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your hair are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than a sparrow. Though we can't see Jesus always, he always sees us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess, we confess that we don't see like we should. And our vision sometimes is on the wrong thing. Sometimes it's cloudy. And sometimes we need that uh, spiritual cataract surgery process to remove the things that cloud us. And Father, we are so grateful that in our blindness, in our fuzzy vision, that you're there and you see us and you guide us. You help us to see what we need to see. And Father, if there's someone here today have blinders on they can't see Father we are open to work of the Holy Spirit to show us what you want us to see and the one who we need to see most is Jesus Christ we lift you up as you were lifted up on the cross as you died on the cross and you rose from the grave and you were lifted up to the third heaven where you sit at the right hand of the Father. Father, we see Jesus. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.